Good evening. Glad you're here. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10. That's where we're going to be studying our lesson tonight. We're going to look at tonight just how important balance is. In 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, um, we deal with some things. Uh, for the Corinthians, we would look at the old, let's not that big of a deal, but for what it means for us, some of these subjects can be quite heavy, uh, quite weighty. Uh, we're in the third lesson of our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, and tonight we're going to attempt to cover the themes found in chapters 8, 9, and 10. So again, the verses won't be on the screen. I want to encourage you to uh, open your Bible. If you didn't bring one, there's one on the pew you can grab and follow along. Um, the Apostle Paul challenges the church at Corinth to do a better job of balancing things. Um, we're calling the study Go Deep, not because our study is deep, but because that's the challenge of the book. And we're going to see that tonight because he's going to challenge the Corinthians and through inspiration, us as well, uh, to go deeper. Um, and, and I think we'll see that in our study. We divide it into to four balancing acts. So if you want to uh, get your uh, outline, if you didn't grab one, you can just help yourself and go back and get one in the back and you can fill in the blanks and we can study together. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. And I think maybe the first lesson that most of the issues that divide us have nothing to do with doctrine. Um, most of the time, when you really drill down their personal preference, uh, and that's what we kind of squabble over from time to time. And they're a result of legalistically uh, uh, adhering to a set of rules, maybe something you've always thought of being Scripture, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's more of a tradition. Maybe it's more of a, what you're comfortable with. Um, and sometimes we can place that above loving others. So Paul revisits the concept that most of these issues that divide us aren't really doctrinal, uh, that really they're a matter of personal preference. And within these issues that are talked about in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he answers a very specific question to the church at that time was a very big deal. Now, when we read through it, we might even just skip over it because for us, it's not that big of a deal. But the question for them was, is it okay for us to eat meat that had been offered or sacrificed to idols? Now, again, that's not a common uh, issue for us. But the way he answers that question, the principles that he gives are eternal. Uh, and there's so much spiritual wisdom here. And I think if we can apply them, that, that will help us move from, as one author said, the battleground of legalism to the peaceful fields of love and liberty. I think this is an important topic because legalism rears its ugly head everywhere. And no one's immune to that. No, no church is immune from that. So let's look at Paul's words to the Corinthian church on this subject and see about some practical steps that we can grow from legalism to liberty. Four basic principles. The first one is this. Knowledge must be balanced by love. Knowledge must be balanced by love. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 8 with this. Now he begins the chapter with the phrase, now about. And we alluded to this in the last lesson, that now about, that's referencing, they obviously had asked some questions of him. He had established the church years earlier, and now there's some questions that, that had come to his attention, and so he's trying to deal. Here's another question you ask about. And what we learn here is that knowledge can be a weapon to fight with or a tool to build with, depending on how you use it. Now, here's the situation. Paul is warning the church about the danger 
of taking knowledge and being puffed up with it. And that is a true danger, even today. It's about believing that logic is the answer to controversial questions. Instead, what he's going to tell us is that love is the answer. So the problem that we've stated already is eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, in their day, in their culture, there were basically two ways that you could get uh, meat, to buy meat in town. Uh, One was to buy it at the public market, uh, and that would be a higher price as opposed to the other to buy it from the temple where the people had uh, made their offering to the idols. And so part of that was a, like a built-in butcher shop, kind of a market. And so after it had been offered, knowing the idols didn't eat it, and so they could sell it and you could buy it at a reduced rate. So you had a choice, buy it at the high-priced market or buy it at the low-priced temple. And so, for some of the Corinthian church, they thought they were just saving money by buying at the temple. And so, what's the big deal here? Well, the big deal was that many of those who Paul calls the weaker ones, the weaker Christians, their background is out of paganism. For their life, their spiritual upbringing, that was their background, idol worship. And so now that they've come to know Jesus, they turn their back on that. They don't want to have anything to do with that. They don't want to buy that meat at a reduced rate, and they don't want anybody else to either. And they can't believe these other Christians are doing that. How could they possibly eat that meat? How could they do that? And so that was very much a bothersome to them. Now, let me, let me share this, because we need to make sure as we, we read the text here and understand what he's saying, they didn't necessarily believe that they were weak, as Paul talks about them there, or that the others were liberal or free, whatever word you want to use. Um, and so it's kind of hard to see ourselves as we go through this. But so Paul is saying here to the strong, the more mature Christians, we know that these idols aren't real. So in our minds, these, these sacrifices, that's really no big deal. But you need to temper your knowledge with love. Don't cause others to stumble. See, legalists like to talk about how much they know. And they can even use Scripture to kind of ramrod their thoughts or their situations, their opinions. Look at your study guide. We put this, and this is Paul's words right off the bat in chapter 8. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The problem is if you're not careful, knowledge puts people in the seat of judgment. I know. And because I know, then I can make that judgment. And sometimes we can even do that and quote a scripture with it as well. This is the way I see it. And so we can set up our own rules or boundaries. Henry Blackaby said this about 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As Christians, we are wise to seek to prove our love, not our knowledge. In the end, we are accountable to God, not for how much we knew in our lifetime, but how well we love those whom the Lord has placed in our lives. If you're filling the blank, put this one as well. Rules can become a distraction from the real priority. Rules can become a distraction from the real priority. See, the other side of being a legalist is to say that anything goes and that everything is permissible. So again, there needs to be a balance. Jesus is a great example of balance. He followed the rules, but he also challenged those rules 
that were merely for the sake of tradition or legalism. Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of terms for legalism and a lot of terms for liberty. Let me just share two. And I don't know the author of these, but, um, but I thought they kind of nailed kind of the, the way we use these terms and understand them today. Legalism is a strict literal adherence to rules and regulations. It's a term referring to an overemphasis on law, codes of conduct, or legal ideas, usually implying an allegation of misguided vigor, pride, super, superfici, super, superficiality, the neglect of mercy, ignorance of the grace of God. I think that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? And then liberty is the freedom to do what you please without considering the costs or the ramifications or how that affects other people. Well, here's a key verse for chapter 8. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. This is where the challenge to go deep really hits the road. Maybe we should underline that verse and keep it handy. It's a good check and balance for us. Will my behavior, will my choice cause a weaker Christian to stumble in their walk? I think it was Earl Riney who said, what this country needs is not more liberty, but fewer people who take liberties with their liberty. That means you have to put others first instead of charging ahead in your own independence, in your own freedom. For something I want to do, I'm going to do it, and regardless of how that affects other people. Instead, and this is what Paul is challenging the church at Corinth and us today, think twice about that. Fill in these blanks in your outline. We should love one another more than our freedom. Think about that. We should love one another more than our freedom. If the exercise of your freedom causes someone else to stumble, then don't exercise that freedom in front of them. That would be selfish. That would be senseless. It all comes back to what is your ultimate goal? All of us are familiar with short-term mission trips. So many of us have gone on those trips. And you know, we try to, to reach that culture the best we can, especially if we're going to another country. And some of the questions we ask when we're trying to prepare and to pack is how to dress. What kind of clothing is going to be appropriate? Sometimes we go to countries where we might dress more conservatively than we do at home. Sometimes even showing any kind of skin could be considered uh, uh, immodest or, or flirtatious or, or at best inappropriate. We might recognize the, the legalism in that, but if you're a different country and your clothing distracts your message and your influence, then we get it. And we willingly don't exercise our freedom, but we make the choice that's best for the furtherance of the cause. Now, I'm not saying that that choice of, of clothing is a sin necessarily, but Paul is saying it is a sin to care so little about other people that you're going to flaunt your freedom and cause them to stumble or to be concerned. So be truthful as you share expectations and make certain that you do so lovingly. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the, more, the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. When knowledge 
is balanced with love, then it's healthy and productive. And even when that knowledge can be painful or, or hard to hear, it still can be freeing. You know, none of us like to hear a bad report from the doctor. No, none of us, regardless of our age, wants to, to learn that maybe we have a terminal disease. You're never ready for that. And medical professionals have to be careful as they deal with families because there's some people they don't want to know. And so that's a struggle. And they're in denial. But there's something liberating about knowing the real situation. Isn't that true? Something freeing about knowing the truth rather than living with false hope. And even though the truth is painful sometimes, it can also be liberating. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you know the verse, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, secondly, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying authority must be balanced by accountability. Authority must be balanced by accountability. Let's look in chapter 9. It looks at first read like Paul is diverting from the topic, the question at hand, but I really think where he goes in chapter 9 ties in with chapter 8 very well. He's using the illustration of another matter that he had to write to freedom in the sake of the gospel, but he chose not to exercise that right. And the example that he uses here is the fact that he had the right as a minister of the gospel to take a salary to be paid for that, but he chose not to do that. In fact, he, he, gave, he is, clearly has the rights to do it, but he systematically gives a number of proofs and reasons for accepting the salary, but he didn't do it because he didn't want anybody to get the wrong picture from that. He wanted to make sure that he could be free, if that's the right word, to preach. So here's your next blank. We are to recognize our freedoms in Christ, but we should not always exercise those freedoms. Recognize them, yes, but not always exercise them. When it comes to actually exercising those freedoms, don't just think about yourself. We, we shouldn't be prideful here. It's not about you getting your way. So instead of our own selfish agenda, we think about, and it's part of our decision-making, what is best for the advance of the gospel. If refraining from that freedom would be better, then we choose to do that. We become a slave for Jesus Christ. We're thinking about His kingdom Ecclesiastes has a lot of just nuggets of truth. And in chapter 7, 18, it says, It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. But we understand the wisdom of those words, don't we? Remember, we're working on our balancing skills here. In so many world religions, it's all about a set of rules. But in Jesus Christ, Christianity is a relationship with Him. And Paul said, I could accept pay for this. But because of where he was going, the culture, and the way it was going to work out, he chose not to do that. He didn't want to be a stumbling block for those who were weak in the faith. I read the story that happened several decades back. A group of Christians from North Carolina went to visit and stay with a group of Christians in Germany. And between their services, the Germans could hardly believe their eyes because the American Christians went outside to smoke. Now, any of you remember that several decades ago between Bible class and worship? You would have a few that would go outside and smoke. As they, they were highly offended. They went outside and smoked. The story says, in fact, the Germans were so appalled they almost dropped their beer mugs. <laughs> I share that story because we can all have blinders on if we're not careful. 
every one of us. We see the faults of others, but not our own. Our ultimate goal is to set an example of life, of Christian freedom that advances the cause of Christ. Here's a key verse in this chapter. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That's a verse worth underlining. That's a verse worth memorizing. That's a a verse worth embracing and letting that be a a guiding line, a light in your world. You're here to glorify God. Impact as many people for the gospel. When he talks about this to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. It's not just talking about to, to be at peace. It's all about salvation of souls. That's what he's saying here. Your habits, your choices will influence people. So you make certain as you make choices, especially in these gray areas. I think that's what he's talking about here. If you ask Paul, the eating of meat offered to idols was not a big deal to him. But we're going to get in that a little bit because he'd give it all up for the sake of those who are weak. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. You've heard the phrase, my goal is to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. That's what we're talking about here. So here's your next blank. The overriding goal then is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. That's your goal. And that impacts the way you live. Sometimes the exercise of our freedoms can be dangerous. Not just because of the possible dangers it does to others. It can be dangerous for you and me. In our freedom, when we exercise those freedoms, sometimes that can lead us to become conceited because of our freedoms and they thing you know we can fall into the very temptation that we had no idea that it might happen freedom brings with it responsibilities because we can begin to think we can do anything we want and we may get caught up into a sinful behavior so paul is speaking in this chapter go back and read it again it's like a parent i see this like paul speaking to an older child like an older teenager Trying to reason with them. Look, you've earned some freedoms. You're driving. I'm not with you every step of the way. So be careful. Be careful of the choices you make. Don't think your freedom is a license to do what's wrong. Instead, it's a liberty to do what's right. Remember whose you are. And we as parents say that to our children sometimes. Let's move on to the third balancing lesson. It's the first half of chapter 10. Experience must be balanced by caution. Experience must be balanced by caution. So here Paul warns the the strong believers that they had better not grow overconfident in their ability to overcome temptation. Past victories, maybe being offered some special privileges might make them feel like they're just a step up spiritually and maybe not as prone, that they're not going to give in as easily. But he says that's no guarantee for future success. So he opens the chapter kind of reminiscing about their past and reminding them of some things that had happened to them. He speaks how the nation of Israel had been delivered from Egypt. That they had this spiritual food and drink. However, these spiritual privileges, if we could call them that, did not prevent them from falling into sin. There's a well-known passage in this chapter. You may already have it underlined. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation 
has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's another one, another one worth memorizing. Being able to call on when you need it at that moment of temptation. See, one of the greatest dangers for Christians, especially when you've been a Christian for a while, is to become overconfident. When we think we're strong, that may be when we're weak. And we might yet discover that. But Paul says here, God can enable us to overcome temptation. To follow His Word. He'll give us that way of escape. But make certain that you don't fall into temptation by exercising too much liberty. Galatians 6.1, do you remember this verse? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Remember what it says next? But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. I read about a man who was struggling with alcoholism. He was asked by a good friend if he had removed all the alcohol in his home. And he said, no, I left one can of beer in my refrigerator. In fact, it strengthens my resolve and my, well, my willpower. And his friend asked him, are you sure you want to do that? He said, oh yeah, it makes me stronger. But it was just a matter of weeks until he'd fallen off the wagon again. Paul says in verse 12 here, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You be mature enough. You go deep enough to ask yourself the hard questions. In other words, don't toy with temptation here. And it can come in so many forms. It might be an internet without a filter. It can be freedom of an expense account. It may be a close work colleague whose marriage is in trouble. So be cautious. A final balancing act is in the last section of 1 Corinthians 10. Freedom must be balanced by responsibility. Freedom must be balanced by responsibility. Sometimes we take interpretations from Scripture and turn them into rules. And we mean well by that. Sometimes we grow up with a family rule that we think of as being Scripture, but it may not be Scripture. It may just be that we've taken a, a Scripture and turned it into a rule. But Paul didn't operate like that. He didn't live like that. Paul was an amazingly free man. And yet, it would be easy for someone to look at Paul and think, well, he was hypocritical. At best, he was inconsistent. Because if you follow his life, and we've got the details there, sometimes he would eat with the Gentiles what they were eating, and sometimes he would eat with the Jews and just eat the kosher food. But he wasn't being hypocritical. And I say he's not being inconsistent. I think he was actually living consistently by the principles he was writing about right here in chapters 8, 9, and 10. You know, a weather vane may seem inconsistent because it's always changing directions. And that's true, it does. But it's consistent in that it is always pointing in the direction of the wind. That's his job. That's what makes it useful. And that's what Paul sought to do with his life. He used the setting... And those who surrounded him determined what could be the most responsible way to use his freedoms. Should I use it in this exercise? Should I exercise that freedom? Should I use that in this setting or not? A key verse in this section, I think, is chapter 10, verse 31. Very simply. So whether you eat 
or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Which brings me to the next blank. Regardless of what you decide, make certain that you can do it for the glory of God. When you're trying to make a decision, make sure you can do it for the glory of God. That's a good barometer that should come in handy. I think it's a common theme, not just here in 1 Corinthians. He wrote about it in the book of Colossians and other places as well. Give God the glory. Now, I want to close by giving you four questions. Four questions for you to think about maybe when you're trying to struggle with this or maybe asking, you know, should I exercise my freedom or not? And also determine whether is an action that you're taking, is it legalistic? Or is it liberating? But before I go through the questions, uh, I want you to think about maybe an area where you struggle. Maybe a gray area. Maybe a, a source of contention in your family or, or maybe with other people you've studied with before. Now keep your Bibles open because we're going to look at a couple of more verses in here. But I'll give you an example to let you know what I'm thinking about. I mentioned earlier clothing, like when you go to another country. Let's just say modesty is uh, 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 a source of contention or an issue for you. That, that for you, maybe you struggle on the angle of um, you're tempted toward provocative dress. So think about that. Or your struggle may be the opposite extreme. And because of your knowledge, you may be tempted to be judgmental of others who don't share the same standards that you hold. And that's one example. I think about movies you attend, maybe TV shows you watch, how you spend your money, um, working on Sunday. Parenting methodology. Parents, you ever had an issue where your rules were different than your friends' parents' rules and your children are so quick to bring that out to your attention? How do you know what's right? There's so many gray areas and there's not always a clear right and wrong. But in light of these chapters, we'd be wise to go deep and think about these things. So, question number one. Will my behavior lead me to freedom or slavery? Will my behavior lead me to freedom or slavery? A couple of weeks ago, we referenced 1 Corinthians 6.12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial, Paul wrote. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So maybe it helps in your mind to play out that behavior in the long haul. If I keep doing this for months and months or, or, or years, is this going to be addictive or, or liberating? Question number two, will this decision be a stumbling block or a stepping stone for others? Will this decision be a stumbling block or a stepping stone for others? In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. He's making his choice based on that decision. If others were to follow your example, if you make this decision, maybe it's a gray area, but if you choose to go that route, what's it going to be like if others follow in your footsteps? Or could people use your behavior as an excuse to justify some other things and make a poor choice? Are you going to help them spiritually or not? That's where it gets deep. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 8.13 to Romans 14, 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. 
So in this passage, he adds drinking wine into the equation and states that he doesn't want to become that stumbling block for other Christians. I want my life to uplift. I want my life to count. I want my influence to be positive and not cause them to stumble or to miss the message of God's love. Question number three. Will these actions only please me or glorify Christ? Will these actions please me only or glorify Christ? 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, we read this a moment ago, do it all for the glory of God. Our goal is not self-gratification. It's the glory of Christ. And that's so much easier said than done. I know that. I want to borrow a line, an opening line from Rick Warren's book. Remember his book that came out many years ago, Purpose Driven Life? Chapter 1 opens with this line. It's not about you. And we need to be reminded of that. Question number four. Will your choices help you win lost people to Christ or turn them away? Will your decision, your choices, help to win lost people to Christ or turn them away? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32 and 33. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And look at that phrase there, that last phrase again, so that they may be saved. If something ever seems questionable to you, if you're trying to make a decision, what does the Bible say on this? And you can't get a, a specific answer, then ask these questions, and especially that one. Let that be a filter. If my doing this is this choice, is that going to affect someone being saved? Because I think when we do that, it will raise our antenna and open our eyes and help us to see things more clearly. Now think about those who are lost. Think about those who are immature, who need to be strengthened and encouraged. People always have differing opinions on issues. Always. Always have and always will. So don't be quick to throw stones of judgment. But by the same token, don't damage your influence by flaunting your freedom. Remember that foundational slogan that became popularized back during the Restoration Movement? In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. Do you remember what's next? In all things, love. I can promise you this at West 7th. We will lovingly teach you the truth. To teach you the truth so you don't have to live with a false hope. And we'll do our best to not major in minors and truly extend liberty in the area of opinions. But when it comes to essentials of doctrine, we will not compromise the truth of Scripture. But if we go back and read 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, we're going to be challenged to go deeper and to make sure that as we have knowledge and Bible study and we understand that we don't use that to inflate our own ego, but that with a spirit of humility, we're making decisions based on what's going to influence others to make a decision for the Lord. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And it truly can. God's Spirit will teach you, convict you, and help you to know what's right. I truly believe that. 
And what's right is for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. We're going to sing a song as we end our service today to give you an opportunity to respond. If that's for prayer and encouragement, that invitation is always open. If you today are ready to confess Jesus and have your sins washed away in baptism, we always have the water ready. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?